Adam is referred to as Eve's husband, and we know that Eve is referred to as Adam's wife. And so they were married there in the garden. We know that marriage is God-ordained, is not man-ordained. God is the one that brought to man the institution of marriage. And Jesus, in his response, we know that it's God's desire that a husband and a wife remain married. That is what God desires for our marriages, to keep those marriage vows. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. Paul the Apostle writing to the Corinthian church, and he says, Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest I, not the Lord, say, If any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Verse 16, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Now remember that as we opened up 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that that Paul the Apostle, he is writing this letter here to the Corinthian believers. He's writing this letter about five years after he had established the church of Corinth on his second missionary journey. And at this time that he's writing this letter, he's actually on his third missionary journey. He's in the city of Ephesus. You know from the book of Acts that Paul made the city of Ephesus his base of operation on that third missionary journey. And you recall that we learned from chapter 1 that there were those from Chloe's household that came over to see Paul in Ephesus. And the first thing that they did was they began to tell Paul of the affairs of the state, or that is the church, the state of the church there in Corinth. They, they said, Paul, there's some problems. Uh, there's division that is going on. There's quarreling. There's fighting that is taking place within the church. The Corinthians are all puffed up in man's wisdom and gathering around certain men and They're not humbling themselves and gathering around the Lord. And they would also tell Paul that there's problems of sin that are in the church as well. There's a problem of immorality. There's a certain case of a man who's living with his father's wife that's there in the church, and the church is tolerating it, and they're puffed up about it. And also there's some other problems as well. And we see that Paul is writing this letter to them in response to that. It's a corrective letter, and he's addressing these problems as we continue to journey Through this epistle, we're going to see that he's going to continue to address other problems that were taking place. In the first six chapters, we saw that he dealt with their division and their quarreling. He's dealing with their pride. He's dealing with the immorality that was in the church and the acceptance of immorality that was being tolerated. And so we know that he would do that. 
The city of Corinth, we know, was a city that very much accepted immorality. It was a city that was marked and characterized by paganism and idolatry, by carnality and immorality, and it had crept into the church. And as we have discussed, that the Gentile believers at this time, as they were coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, many of them were coming out of that paganism, out of that idolatry, and they really needed to know clearly what God had a desire for them in their lives, when it came to the area of purity, when it came to the area of their marriages, when it came to their conduct and just living for the Lord, there was a lot of confusion about that because it was culturally accepted to be involved in sexual immorality. And so they were coming out of that. They had a lot of questions. And that's the second part of Paul's reason why he was writing to this church because as we open up chapter 7, you recall that he says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. So apparently when Chloe's household, whoever it was, her, her family, as they came to Paul, they came with the list of questions that they had to give to Paul the apostle. And so now he's beginning to address those issues. And of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he is addressing the issue of marriage and singleness. He's addressing the issue of divorce, of remarriage, of being a widow, of being married to an unbeliever, all these things that they needed to be clear on. And as we saw in verses 1 through 9, we saw that there was confusion concerning the physical relations between a husband and a wife. Is that acceptable? Is that okay to be engaged in that? And it could have come because of the light of Paul's teaching that he was saying to them in chapter 6. You recall that he said that your temples, or that is your bodies, are the temple of God. They are members of Christ. And so you need to remember that. Your, your bodies being a temple of God, that is holy. And so there was some confusion with them. Okay, you've called us to purity. And so verses 1 through 9, as he talks about purity, that is those who are single, that you are to remain celibate, that you are to remain pure. Second of all, he goes on and he explains to them that within the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife, it's okay to give the affection that is due to each other. And we saw that in verse 3. He said, Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. And so we saw that, that that was something that Paul wanted to make very clear to them. And so also he's going to make clear to them what it means with you being a believer that you are married to an unbeliever. Because again, as they were coming to Jesus Christ by faith, some of them may have found themselves and, and did find themselves married to an unbeliever now. What do we do now? Does God still honor that marriage? Is there still the physical relations that are to be enjoyed between a husband and wife? And Paul, as we have read, is beginning to address that as we'll pick it up at verse 12. So that confusion is going to be all cleared up. He says that you are to, first of all, be pure in the marriage relationship. The husband and wife are to be faithful to each other. They are to give the affection due to each other. If you're single, God has gifted you at this time to be single, then you are to remain pure, and uh, no one is gifted to be involved in sexual immorality, though. Then we saw that not only did he talk about permanence in the marriage, but or purity in the marriage, but second of all, as we finished last week, verses 10 through 12, permanence in the marriage. So purity in the marriage, 
in whatever state you find yourself in, permanence in the marriage. And we saw that it was in verses 10 and 11, and I'll read to you again. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. We know that Jesus, when the religious leaders came to him, as I mentioned in Matthew chapter 19, it was the religious leaders that had similar questions that they were asking Jesus about marriage and divorce and remarriage, similar to what the Corinthians were asking Paul. And so the Pharisees, they came to Jesus and said, is it permissible? Is it all right to, to grant a certificate of divorce? And so Jesus would say to them, have you not read that in the beginning he made them male and female? And a man shall leave his father and his wife, and, and a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And no longer are they two, but they're now one. And Jesus went on to say that what God has joined together, let no man separate, let no man put asunder. And so Jesus' answer to those religious leaders, first of all, he was putting his stamp of approval on the definition of marriage. And that is two people coming together. They are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Putting his stamp of approval there on Genesis chapters 1 and Genesis chapter 2. In the beginning, he made them male and female. Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 2. He brought them together. And at that point, we see that Adam is referred to as Eve's husband. And we know that Eve is referred to as Adam's wife. And so they were married there in the garden. We know that marriage is God-ordained, is not man-ordained. God is the one that brought to man the institution of marriage. And Jesus, in his response, we know that it's God's desire that a husband and a wife remain married. That is what God desires for our marriages, to keep those marriage vows. We also know that in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, that God says when it comes to the institution of marriage, that it is a holy institution and it's an institution in which he loves. Also, we saw that in Malachi chapter 2 that God says that he hates divorce. He does not hate the divorced person, but he does hate divorce. And as we discussed last week, the reason that God hates divorce it's because of the hurt and the pain that it brings to the divorce couple. The hurt and the pain that it brings to a family. And so God says that he hates divorce. He hates to see what happens to people and to families, to individuals, when there is divorce. And so here are all these things being asked to Paul the Apostle that he's beginning to address. Purity within the marriage. He begins to address permanence within the marriage. And now he's going to continue to talk about how you, in the state that you find yourself in, how you can continue to bless the Lord and live for the Lord. Again, he's going to begin to talk about uh, those who are married to unbelievers because you see that there were those who perhaps were teaching in Corinth that if you're married to an unbeliever, that was like joining Christ and Satan together, defiling the believer and defiling the family, the children, dishonoring the Lord. So let's continue reading as we read in verse 12 now, as Paul addresses that. He says, But to the rest I, not the Lord, say, If any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. 
For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. In verse 16, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So now Paul's speaking to those who are married, but they had an unbelieving spouse. He says to the rest, those of you married to an unbeliever, I, not the Lord, say. And Paul here is not given his own opinion here. When he states, I, not the Lord, say, what he is simply saying is this, is that Jesus did not specifically speak on this point, this, this particular issue. God hasn't given any previous revelation on this matter. But Paul, as he's inspired by the Spirit of God, as he is giving apostolic instructions in this case, you Corinthians understand this, that you who have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ already being married, you that find yourselves being married to an unbeliever. And again, they were thinking, well, does the Lord uh, recognize this marriage? Perhaps we should divorce our unbelieving spouse. And Paul says, no, you're not to do that. If your unbelieving spouse is willing to stay with you, then do not divorce them. Your marriage is still valid. Now, why would a person who is married to an unbeliever want to make every effort to keep the marriage together? Well, Paul here gives three reasons. He says, first of all, in verse 14, that the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. The reason that you should remain married to your unbelieving spouse is because you will sanctify them. Now, it does not mean that they are saved. That is very clear, isn't it? Because Paul is referring to them as unbelievers. But what he is saying is this, is that the believing spouse will bring blessing and benefit into the relationship. It's kind of like back in the book of Genesis. Joseph, you remember the story of Joseph, that Joseph ended up in Egypt. And through a series of of situations and circumstances, Joseph found himself being elevated in the empire. He found himself being a right-hand man to Pharaoh. And the reason that he was is because he was one that God gave him the gift and the ability to interpret dreams. And so there is Joseph in prison. And Pharaoh has a dream, and Pharaoh's astrologers and magicians and all his guys could not tell him the interpretation of the dream. So one of them says, hey, there's a a Hebrew down there in in jail. He has the ability to interpret dreams. He did it for us, is what the butler would say to Pharaoh. And so they brought him up, and it was Joseph that interpreted that dream for Pharaoh. And he said, Pharaoh, the dream that you had, the meaning is this, and God is interpreting this dream for you. And that is, you're going to have seven years of good crops, plenty. And so what you are to do is store up some of that crops and save some of it because there's going to be years of famine that are going to follow. And it was Pharaoh that said, because of the wisdom that you have, Joseph, wisdom that's not found anywhere in Egypt. You see, Joseph had God's wisdom and God's knowledge that you're going to be my prime minister. And Egypt was saved. Because of the wisdom of God, because of God working through Joseph and the fact that Joseph feared God. I can't help but think about Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. You read about him in the book of Daniel. 
And it was Daniel who was a young man that was taken off into captivity, in the Babylonian captivity there, and he would there serve Nebuchadnezzar. He also found favor with God, Daniel did, becoming Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand man. And we know that through the witness and through the testimony and the wisdom of Daniel as God was working through him, that it would minister to Nebuchadnezzar. We know that that would be true through the witness and through the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. Remember, they're thrown into the burning fiery furnace because Nebuchadnezzar wanted those three men to bow down to a statue. They said, no, we're not going to do that, Nebuchadnezzar. We don't care if you throw us into the burning fiery furnace, but we're going to serve God and worship only him. And so they were thrown into that furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar is watching, looking in, and he sees a fourth like the Son of God. It was the Lord there with them. And, and Nebuchadnezzar cries out, Come out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for I know that your God is the God of heaven and earth. Now Nebuchadnezzar at that time, he didn't become a believer because he says to them, Your God, your God, Nebuch- you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Your God is a great fireman and saving you. But as you move into Daniel chapter 4, you see that Nebuchadnezzar went insane for seven years. And I think that in that seven years that Daniel would protect Nebuchadnezzar, would continue to serve. He didn't take advantage of him, didn't try to overthrow him, didn't make decrees concerning certain things. But Nebuchadnezzar was blessed and benefited because Daniel was a man that feared God. And we know that he would write a letter to the world proclaiming that God truly is the Lord. And I believe Nebuchadnezzar got saved. You see, there was blessing and there was benefit. So a Christian married to an unbeliever is not to worry that they themselves that are married just defiled, but the opposite is the case. The presence of one saved in the relationship brings blessing to the unbelieving spouse. Second of all, not only is the unbelieving spouse sanctified, but your children are holy and they are not unclean. You bring blessing and benefit to your children. The presence of just one Christian parent will protect the children and bring blessing to the children. And again, it's not that their salvation is assured. They're going to have to grow up and make their own decision concerning Jesus Christ. But they do receive spiritual blessing, don't they? And benefit because of that believing parent, that believing parent who desires and makes a decision, the one who is a Christian, that, you know what, I'm going to bring blessing to my children. You have the opportunity to instill value and truth and morality, but more importantly, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that there are some parents that are here, that you're the ones that you bring, the one spouse, believing spouse, maybe perhaps you're married to an unbeliever. You get your kids up and you get them dressed and you bring them here. And I know that's not always easy. But God bless you for doing that, and we want to support you and encourage you in that. That is very important in what you're doing and bringing your child to learn of the things of God and and to, to learn of the truth of the Lord, and you continue to minister to them and raise them up in the ways of the Lord. And so you bring blessing and benefit to that child, the believing spouse. So why should the believer stay with their unbelieving spouse? Number one, the unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing spouse. Secondly, the children are holy. That is, they receive blessing and benefit from the believing parent. And then thirdly, who knows, that you might bring salvation to your unbelieving spouse. Being married to a Christian does not make the unbelieving spouse saved. 
but hopefully it will make the chances much greater. The fact that one partner is saved means that God is at work in the relationship. When a husband or a wife is committed to godliness there in the marriage, it greatly increases the chances of winning that unsaved partner. I know it doesn't always happen. And I know it's not always easy. But the possibility is there, is what Paul is saying. So Paul writes in verse 15, If the unbelieving spouse departs, let them go. Now, it does not mean that the marriage is broken, that it's initiated or sought by the believers. Paul has just counseled us that the Christian is to stay with their spouse to keep the marriage together. But if the unbeliever departs, let him go. And it interests me that Paul makes this comment. He says, you're not called to be under bondage, but God has called us to peace. And I know that there are certain situations that come when there's, as Jesus would say, immorality that takes place. When there is a leaving of the spouse, that there is divorce that does happen. And again, I'm sorry for you who have been through that kind of hurt. But I also want to, to take this verse here, and I want to just say something to those of you who are single, that Paul says concerning the unbelieving spouse that leaves, you're not under bound, bound to bondage, but you're given over to peace. And it should be a warning to those who are single that don't yoke yourself unequally to an unbeliever. They may treat you very nicely. They may be kind to you at this time. But you may be leading yourself into a situation that you're going to find yourself in bondage. And I want to encourage those who are single, who desire to get married someday, who desire to have a family, and I know those desires are very real, that you wait on the Lord and trust on the Lord. And you wait for him to bring that godly person into your life and trust that he's going to bless that marriage as he does. That person who's going to take on the responsibilities that are given to them to being the spouse that they have called to be in the Lord. That you look and you be serious about, I want that individual to be one who's going to lead me, you young ladies or you who are single. And for you men to wait for that godly woman that's going to come along. But don't try to force things to happen where, oh, I'm going to marry an unbeliever just so the sake of getting married. Paul says you're not called to bondage, you're called to peace. And God wants the very best. And there's a reason why he says not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So may that be a little bit of a warning and something to pray through and consider here this morning for you who are single. And so verse 17, Paul continues, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, and so are I ordain in all the churches. So Paul giving us a principle here for, for living for God, having a heart for God, where you're at right now. And I believe that perhaps that Paul may be saying that to the Corinthian believers, first of all, because he's warning them not to undo the past when it comes to, to relationships. God wants us to live for him. And if there's been sin in the past, he wants us to come to him as we repent of that and live for him, receive his forgiveness, and then move on in the Lord. So, for example, if you wrongly divorce your, your spouse and you're remarried now, you, you're a Christian, live for the Lord right now. And know that you don't have the mindset of, well, I must you know, leave my, 
spouse now and go back to my first wife or my first husband and try to undo the past. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying whatever state that you find yourself in, that God has you in, walk in that place right now. Whatever your status, whether it's single or married, whether widowed or divorced, remarried, whatever, God can and still will work in your life. And you see, as I mentioned last week, sometimes we can make the mistake of thinking, I know, Lord, that, that I would really have a heart for you or you would work in my life if I was just married or I wasn't married. Paul's saying, no. Walk with the Lord now. Walk for the Lord right now, right in a place where you're at. And again, it doesn't mean that if you're single, you won't have a desire to be married. Of course you will. But right now where you're at today, that you live for the Lord and you have a heart for the Lord. And he's going to continue to talk about that, verse 18. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be uncircumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.